Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. You guys might have heard of this football player. His name's Tom Brady. Um, he's a little famous. It's been around for a little bit. Um, As long as I can remember, honestly, like from loving football, Tom Brady's always been the guy, the GOAT, the best of, you know, wins way too many Super Bowls and is there like all the time. Um, And I remember it was probably early 2000s, and I, I saw a video of an interview of him, and this was early on in his career, and he was talking, I forget who was doing the interview, who was talking to him, but they were asking him, you know, about, he had won, I think, one or two Super Bowls at that point, and they, they asked him, you know, like, how does it feel? What's it like? And he got really serious and, like, really somber and was like, you know, he's like, it kind of feels empty. And I'm thinking, like, I don't know, winning the Super Bowl sounds pretty sweet. Like, I think that would be pretty high on my list of accomplishments if I uh, literally won the Super Bowl. Um, and, and that struck me as like, and he, and he kind of elaborated a little bit saying like, I put in all this work and all this effort to, you know, train my body and practice, be with my teammates, my team, strategize, and we make it to the pinnacle. We get to the top and we win it. And it, almost immediately after, it feels just like superfluous and empty. And um, I was like, wow, that's... and and. Honestly, in that, I was like, wow, that, that, sounds like, that sounds like something's like stirring in his heart. Like maybe the Holy Spirit's like working his heart a little bit there, you know? Um, so that was a really interesting interview. And then fast forward to literally like this past year, he went from the New England Patriots to the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay, and they were doing this promo thing where he and one of his uh, teammates, Rob Gronkowski, were doing like an interview. And um, Rob Gronkowski was asking Tom Brady questions, and he, one of the questions he asked was, what's your favorite Super Bowl ring? And Tom Brady said, the next one. And I immediately thought of that interview from however many years ago, of like, wow, like he's, he went from a place of, you know, kind of realizing that this, this elevation that he's reached is kind of all for nothing, to a point of like, I just need the next one. And I think he kind of said it tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but in that moment, I was like, wow, like, the next one. Like, he's true. And I think he said it with a lot of belief of, like, yeah, the next one will be better. The next one will be the best. The next one will be great. Um, and so that, I, I tell that story to kind of tie into the idols of our hearts, right? Because idols do very specific things to our hearts and our minds, and a lot of times we don't realize what those things are, or we don't fully understand what they are. Um, one thing that, uh, a phrase that I've, I've known and heard, you know, kind of growing up in the church is, God is jealous for me. And um, that's kind of a hard concept to wrap my mind around of like, God's jealous for me. Like, God is perfect and good and he's jealous. Like, that doesn't, um, but someone actually rephrased it for me in a way that helped make him a lot more sense. They said, nothing in creation is worthy of our worship. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And so kind of what that phrase is saying is, God is jealous for our worship. 
Because he's ultimate. He is, he is good. He is holy. He is perfect. He's the creator of all things. And so for us to give our worship to anything else, anything else, is not right. Because we're, we're created, we're made to worship God. So, with that in mind, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about how to know what idols are, give you a little bit of a biblical main framework of what idols are. Um, I want to talk through how it feels to worship idols. Um, and then I want to talk about what do we do with that information. So, and then I want to leave you with the good news of the gospel. So we'll wrap on a, on a high note. Um, so if you guys have Bibles or on your phones, if you want to open up to 1 Thessalonians 1, um, I will also read verse 1, even though it wasn't on the screen. Um, I'm just going to run through this passage real quick and kind of give you guys some context and some cues to, to work off of here um, as we go. Um, so Paul, Savanus, and Timothy, uh, this was a time when Paul was traveling around, you know, kind of the whole Mediterranean and, and, and known world at that time and was preaching the gospel. And he brought a lot of guys with him. And Silvanus and Timothy are two of those people that were traveling with him. Um, the way I, uh, the, reading some commentary, they were in Thessalonica, which is basically like a, a socioeconomic hub at the time. It was kind of up in like the armpit of Greece on the Mediterranean. It was a very central part of the world where tons of ships came through, a lot of trade routes went through. So this is like a huge, think like LA, London, New York, like it's that type of city, so it's massive. Tons of different people, tons of diversity in that city. Um, and so Paul and his crew kind of come through Thessalonica and, and preach the gospel. Um, if we jump down to verse four, it talks about, it says, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So Paul and his crew show up. They preach the gospel. People are converted. People believe and, and choose to follow Jesus as a result. Now, it's not totally clear, and it, it talks a little bit more about it later in 1 Thessalonians, but Paul and his crew had to leave Thessalonica um, probably soon after there started to be kind of a movement there. Um, and, and that's kind of who they were, the people went Thessalonica reviewing as like, this is our guy, like Paul. And then he's like, all right, I got to keep going, peace. Um, and so kind of left him hanging a little bit. But anyways, I guess Timothy went back to Thessalonica to kind of get a report and see like how things were going, encourage people, and then came back. So this letter that Paul and Timothy and Silvanus wrote is coming from after Timothy returned to Paul, who I think was in Corinth, um, kind of giving an update on the Thessal Thessalonian church. Um, so that's kind of the, the frame of which, you know, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians. Um, so, uh, lost my spot here. Um, so down in verse 6, Paul goes on, he says, And you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Um, so one thing that was true in Thessalonica, again, Major hub, socioeconomic, lots of religions, right? Lots of, you know, Greek mythology, probably a lot of Roman theology, also just, you know, kind of random religions and spirituality all kind of tied into one giant area. And so there was a lot of spirituality and, and you know, temple worship and stuff. It was a very common thing in Thessalonia. So um, it, it wasn't like they were, you know, atheists and then like Paul comes in preaching religion or the gospel and they're like, oh, this is so new. Like it was definitely like not a crazy departure. 
That said, the, the common themes of religion in those times were how do I, as a, as a human, appease these gods, right? How do I present myself before them as worthy of their attention or worthy of their blessing or worthy of their, you know, whatever? Um, and so the gospel of Jesus, as we know, is, is very much not that. It's very much like you're loved and forgiven as you are and not, you don't have to like clean yourself, kind of like Chris was talking about. You don't have to like clean yourself up and do the checklist. Um, so that was a very radical idea um, for people in Thessalonica at the time. Um, and, you know, going back to um, they received not only a word, but power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Um, and you're imitators of us in the Lord, and you received the word much, much affliction. So I think what Paul is talking about, and he probably saw this when he was there, um, these people were, were persecuted for their faith when they converted to follow Jesus. Um, I think there was real persecution that happened um, to them because of the just the general viewpoints of the people in Thessalonica. So I think there was a lot of, you know, um, probably physical persecution, social persecution with family, friends. Um, think about, you know, if, if you knew someone really well for a long time and they all of a sudden this, you know, group of people come to town, they're preaching a gospel of sorts and, and, your friend or family member, whoever buys in wholesale, completely changes their life, total radical transformation. And then not only that, but like they're willing to sustain or they're willing to uh, endure persecution and just actual like vitriol and hate put towards them for this, this belief they just recently picked up. Like to me, that'd be like, whoa, like, okay, something's different there, right? Um, so it goes on. Um, in verse 7, it says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Um, this is important, you know, for the development of the early church. So, like I said, Thessalonica was a huge hub in the Mediterranean. And as a result, these, these group of believers who converted and became Christians and then started living as Christians in this huge metropolitan area, um, word of that spread very quickly and all throughout the land. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's like, because you guys endured persecution, because you, you know, believed with full conviction, um, their transformation was so significant and so um, visible that that story spread through all the land. And that was a huge catalyst, I think, in the early days of the church, the church of Jesus growing in that area because of how, um, because of that story of the believers in Thessalonica. Um, in verse 8, or excuse me, verse 9, it goes on, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. That's Paul talking about the Thessalonians. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The term Paul uses here to refer uh, to the Thessalonians' conversion, um, it's in our Bible, it says to turn. Um, it's a, it implies not only a change in attitude, like a mental decision, but actually action. And it's actually a, a, the same word that's used when Jesus talks about um, when Jesus talks about repentance, right? You believe with your mind and actually turn and do that and follow Him. So it, there's a there's a mental aspect and a physical aspect in terms of decision made and also following through with your actions. So that's the beginning of the letter to the Thessalonians from Paul, um, and we're going to kind of hinge on that last on that verse nine there. Um, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So what is an idol? Um, 
frankly, anything can be an idol, right? And that sounds like really broad and vast, but it's true. And again, like a, a definition that helps me kind of frame it in my mind is an idol is anything that is, has eclipsed the true God in our thoughts and or our affection. So anything that takes that place of God in our hearts, in our minds, and, and demands our affection um, can be an idol. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a very broad definition, and at the same time, like, I think it's a necessary one. We have to understand that literally anything can be an idol, because if we view only specific things, then we can easily negate and forget and not notice all the other things that could be demanding our affections. Um, so let's run through what the Bible defines as an idol as well. Uh, Trent touched on one earlier with the first commandment, talking about an exodus, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Romans 1.25 says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creator rather than served the uh, creature rather than, than the creator. 1 John 5.20-21 says, And we know that the Son of God has come to, and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Can you hear how the scripture depicts idols and God? It's very much one or the other. It's either the true God or it's an idol. And I, don't, I, I think it's, it's written intentionally like that. It's very black and white. Um, but it's difficult. It's hard for us. I think for today, we love to live in the gray area, right? Of like, well, it, it can be this, but also can be this, you know? And it's, there's very, it's very hard and it almost feels like offensive sometimes, especially in Minnesota. It feels offensive to be like, yes or no, black or white, like definitive. I think that's hard for us. Like, I feel that sometimes. Like, it's hard to be like, well, we have to like, we have to add some, you know, addendums here, like, you know, that kind of stuff, which, you know, we do. Um, but I think what the Bible says, what is true, is there's one true God, the creator, and then there's his creation, which is everything else. Um, the very nature of what it means to be human is to be a worshiper. Um, I like to think of us as forklifts, um, the machine that you drive, because we love to elevate stuff, right? Like, whatever it is, we just want to lift it up. Like, I saw a new movie. I'm going to elevate it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to tell people about it. I tried a new beer. It was delicious. Here's what I'm going to tell you about it. I went to a new restaurant. This place is amazing. Like, we love to just, like, elevate stuff and put stuff up high and look at it as, as, as ultimate. Um, and, you know, everyone everywhere is worshiping something. It's always, um, it's always, you know, something, you know, and hopefully it's God, but I'd be willing to bet a lot of times it's not. Um, I think the, the crux of it all, what ties into, you know, what the Bible is saying is the idols are counterfeit, right? We, we treat them as, as a God, even though they are not actually God, which means whatever we think or desire them to provide for us, they can't actually follow through on. Going back to Tom Brady, like the, the peak of his, of his accomplishments is, is a Super Bowl trophy and a ring. And he realized even after he got those, like, actually, those aren't giving me fulfillment. Those aren't giving me joy, ultimately. Those aren't giving me peace. He has to go chase the next one and the next one and the next one. I think that's true with, with any of our idols. When we actually attain what we think we want or what we think they offer, it turns out it's false. It's not real. 
or at the very least, it's a, it's a cheap imitation of what God can truly offer us. So, we were created to worship the one true God, yet we continually give our worship and affection and love to little gods. Um, and I think it's, it's easy for us to either not realize we're worshiping an idol, or even still, even if we do, to still continue to worship those, because idols are oftentimes not bad things, right? Like, a lot, I don't think there's probably somebody out there, but I don't think anybody, like, worships money, like, itself, like looks at a dollar or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, like this is it. Like if I could just get a thousand dollars, like that would be it. Like you're right. Now they worship the things I think money can bring them or give them, or maybe the security or comfort or the means or the stuff, or there's things that money offers, but I don't think anybody worships like money itself. And if you do, like, let's talk. Like, I'd love to discuss that with you. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but I think what we need to understand and, and what I'm going to run through here is what does it feel like to serve an idol? Like, what is it in our hearts and our minds that continually keep drawing us back to the things that we know, that we would know in our minds probably are not going to fulfill us, are not going to give us the things that we ultimately need and desire? Um, so I think the first thing that idols do is they distort our thinking. In Jeremiah 17, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Um, have you ever done something where, and you look back on it, right, something you've done you know, either recently or a while ago, and you're kind of thinking, like, well, what was I, what was I thinking? Like, why did I do that? You know, maybe you, you know, maybe you treated someone that you love, like, poorly, or maybe you impulsively bought something, or, you know, maybe you did something and then you lied to cover it up. Like, you look back and you're like, man, like, what, why did I do that? You know, I think, I think when we have idols and we pursue them, we, we end up justifying in our minds and even our hearts of why we're doing those things. Like in that moment, we're justifying that action or that thought or that word or that, that belief because it's like, well, because I'm pursuing this or because I'm worshiping this and this is going to give me this. So can we kind of like run that justification through our minds? Um, you know, some examples like might be your idol is your comfort. Um, comfort as a value is, is not a bad thing. But when comfort becomes your idol, heaven is I'm comfortable, I'm safe, I'm secure, I have what I need, I'm good. And hell is, I'm uncomfortable. I have to go without. I, have to, I, I can't do that or I can't have that. Um, or maybe it's achievement, right? Again, achievement as a value, not a bad thing. But if it's your idol, your achievement is your value, your heaven is based on I'm successful. People view me as good at what I do or I'm excelling. And hell is, I'm a failure. I can't do it. I didn't succeed, and people see me like that. So you, you kind of see like the, the justification there of like, yeah, it's everything's worth that end goal because if I have that, then it's heaven. And if I don't have that, it's scary. It's painful. It's hell. So idols distort our thinking. The other thing idols do is they create emotional bondage. Colossians 3 talks about putting to death passion and evil desire, covetousness and idolatry. And passion, uh, that word in that verse, is, means an inordinate desire for something other than God. Um, kind of going back to the distorted thinking, like we, we believe our idols will offer us the things that we need, right? And we're, we're emotional beings, right? We all, we have feelings, we have emotions, and we have needs within those. And we think that if they're met by 
unjust means, or not unjust, but if they're met by other means, things we can control and hang on to and see and touch, that'll, that'll be healthy. That'll give us what we need. In reality, it doesn't, but we believe that. And I think, you know, to Chris's, what he was talking about in his story of, you know, pursuing that partying, that drinking, that, that lifestyle, like that lie was like, I can, I can have those things. Those things will provide to me what I need, you know. So I think um, we become so entrenched and enmeshed with our idols that there's no, we can't be, we can't feel like we can be without it, right? Going back to that, if we're without it, it's scary, it's dangerous, it's hurtful. I don't want that. Um, Tom Cruise and uh, I think it's Jerry Maguire says, "You complete me," right? Super emotional and sappy. Kalen's laugh. I know he loves that movie. <laughs> Um, but idols do that. They trick us into thinking like we need them to complete us. We need, we need them or there's no me. And that's, again, that's a lie that we believe and it's an emotional one. And those, I think, are the most powerful lies. When a lie, when something we believe is emotionally tied, oh man, it's, it's hard, right? Like it is hard to, one, even admit it's a lie and two, believe it and like identify and release it. Um, so... Uh, the third thing an idol does is misplaces our trust and hope. Psalm 40 says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud or to those who turn to false gods. Our idols always fail us. Every time. It might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, next week, next month. It might not be next year. Um, but they always fail. They can never offer true hope and fulfillment, and joy and peace. Um, they can't. And we continue to put our hope in things, like I said earlier, we can see and control, and they offer no real peace in that. But we continue to pursue them because of those first two things we talked about, emotional bondage and distorted thinking. So you kind of see how these all play together. All three of these factor into why we hold so closely to our idols and why we pursue them, why we even have those things as idols. Um, I think one thing, you know, again, thinking back to Tom Brady, I think we put our, we misplace our hope on repeat. So even in those times we maybe realize like, oh yeah, this isn't giving me what I thought it would. Or this isn't telling me what I want to hear. Or this isn't fulfilling me. We keep going back to it because it's comfortable, because it's easy, because we can control it, because because like I, I can yeah I just oh, well the next one the next one the next one. we keep lying to ourselves and getting like confused and seeking it again. Um, it's hard. It's hard. So um, our idols distort our thinking. They misplace misplace our hope and trust, and they. Um, create emotional bondage. So what do we know? We know that idolatry distorts our thinking, creates emotional engagement, <laughs> entanglement, and causes misplaced hope. Idols make us feel stuck, right? So even if we identify what those idols are, even if we find those things that we're elevating to a place of where God should be, um, what do we do about it? Like, okay, like, here I am, like, I know, I know this isn't going to fulfill me, but, right? There's always that but. They look so promising, but they never make good on that promise. On top of that, they lead us away from the living and true God. 
So what do we do? We got to do what the Thessalonians did. Turn from them. Turn to God. Right? Easy. That's the end of my sermon. Thank you for coming on. It sounds really simple, right? It sounds like, yeah, just duh, right? Um, but to be honest, like, that's, that's kind of scary, right? And I know we don't get the intimate details of what that actually looked like for those Thessalonians to do that. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of pain and, and, and brokenness and process, right, that they went through. And that's true for us. Like, yes, it is scary. Because, I, I, again, going back to that emotional tie, like, it's, it's an emotional, it's one that's deep in our hearts that we truly believe, we're truly tricked into thinking that, yeah, this thing can provide what only God can. And that's scary to give that up. It's scary to turn away from that. It's scary to, um, to not just acknowledge and see that, but also do something about it. Choose to make that decision to say, I'm not going to run to this anymore. I think for me, I think for me, my idols, they constantly whisper to me, right? Talking about the, the lies that we believe. It's if I'm successful, if I look the part, if I say the right things, if I do the right things, um, if I hide the real me, people will like me, they'll love me. They'll choose me. They'll want me. It's hard because we, we, I think we all believe those lies and we believe them deeply. Your idols constantly tell you you can't do this. You won't change. You don't want others to know. You'll never stay on that new path, so why try? You need me. And we believe it. But here's what I've learned in my own story over the past few years, battling my idols. Repentance is the change of direction, not the attainment of perfection. It's the change of direction. And what the Thessalonians did, and I think what Jesus calls us to do, is to turn. He doesn't say, stop worshiping your idols. And, and turn around and worship me all the time, 100%, perfectly. Because we can't do that. We, we're sinful beings, we can't do that. What we can do is we can make that decision in our hearts to say, I'm going to turn and trust Jesus. It's not a turn to, turn to change, right? It's not something to say, I'm just going to find the things that I really like and try to like not like those. Or find the, things that I, find the lies I believe and just not believe the lies. Like, that's, not, that's not the point. The point is to turn and look at Jesus, to fulfill us in the ways that only he can. Yes, it's hard. It's scary. I think the turn is so scary because we don't truly believe that Jesus can provide those things that we want. Somewhere we, we don't believe that God can provide what we need, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual.
When we turn to Christ, we see the gospel. Paul talks about when they brought the gospel in, it was not just in word, but in power, the Holy Spirit with full conviction. We need all of those things to turn from idols. We need to hear the gospel. We need to be taught the gospel. We need to read the gospel. But we also need the Holy Spirit. And we need conviction. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Well, let's talk about the good news, right? The gospel is the good news that there is one true king and everything else is just a, a wooden idol. When Jesus came, he made the announcement that he is the true king. The true king is here. Repent and believe the good news. Repent, going back to that word they use in 1 Thessalonians, turn. It's a decision, but it's also an action. Believe. Believe in the one who is true, not false. The one who keeps promises. Knocks break, not breaks them. It's going back to the three things idols do. Idols distort our minds. Jesus renews our mind, right? Our emotions get entangled in idols. Jesus secures our emotions. And Jesus is the God that we can really trust and hope in. And we'll follow through. Yes, the Lord knows that for some of us to turn from idols, our thinking needs to change, right? Maybe we're aware of our thinking being distorted, but we actually have to renew it through Jesus. The Lord knows that for some of us, we need to turn, um, turn from idols with emotional and relational health needs to change. Like we're so entangled in our idols that we don't realize that our emotional health is fully supplied by God. Some of us need regulation. We need to go back to hurts and pains from the past in order to move forward. And that's scary. <laughs> that's scary. And God is there in that. And the Lord knows that for some of us to turn from idols, we need our habits to change. Things that we do regularly and consistently need to change. Need to be different. So I hope what you've heard here is not that the goal here is to just change idols. To figure out what the the low-hanging fruit is what the easy ones are and kick those, but continue to chase other ones. But to truly turn and look to Jesus for our fulfillment, for our joy. Because Jesus is the one true king, worthy of our worship. And because of that, we can turn from our idols and pursue him. So I'd leave you with this. As I've taught, as I've talked, 
What's been on your mind? What has the Holy Spirit been stirring in your heart, kind of poking at? What's the good thing that you have made into a God thing? I'd say whatever that is, talk to God about it, pray about it. And also talk to someone else about it. Maybe someone here, maybe someone in your gospel community group. Because we're definitely not meant to do this, this turn alone. We can't. So. Let me pray real quick and then we'll close out. Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that our idols distort our thinking and entangle us in emotional baggage and falsely promise us hope. God, we confess that you renew our minds. You bring us emotional health and you are the one that we can truly trust and hope in. God, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your son that put idols to shame. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds today and this week that we would seek to put you on the throne in our lives. And God, you give us the grace and the mercy and the courage and the strength to turn to you. Amen.